Welcome to episode 78 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Friday the 11th of September 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today we're going to be joined by Rob Lewis again, our PBC specialist, who's going to take us through the raft of fairly significant changes that have been happening in the world of PBC. We're going to be looking at the Google Shopping changes that mean your products will be shown in any country based on language an update to location reporting Google Ads, Rob's views on the search term report data loss, and some interesting updates on Microsoft advertising. As usual, I want to kick off to tell you this episode is sponsored by the brilliant Sightbulb. If you haven't heard of it and you're working in SEO or search marketing, you definitely should have. It's a fantastic desktop-based auditing tool for Windows and Mac. It's one of the tools uh, I use. We use at Canda in basically every single technical audit that we do. I've been through and talked before about some of the kind of features that make it a particularly nice tool. The one I want to tell you about today is the virtual robots.txt rules you can use with Sitebulb. So this is something actually that I've had to use on a client site. So as we know, robots.txt uh, allows us to control where robots are allowed to crawl. And it can get kind of complicated when you are doing some of the more detailed rules. We've got a tool, as you know, within Google Search Console to kind of test separate URLs, but it doesn't really scale very well. One of the really cool things about Sitebulb is you have a virtual robots.txt. So you can copy your current robots.txt, edit the robots.txt in Sitebulb, and it will use that virtual one. It's really handy because you can then write your new rules and test how they will impact your whole site without obviously having to do the dangerous thing of update your live site and without having to bother developers for staging changes, things like that. So you can just simulate the new rules. Absolutely fantastic. Sitebulb have very kindly given us a special offer for listeners to search with Canda. If you go to site bulb.com forward slash SWC. So for search with candor, so it's sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. You can get a 60 day trial of Sitebulb, uh, which is longer than their normal trial and it doesn't require a credit card. So nothing to lose. Go and check it out. Hey Rob. Hello. Welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while. So Rob and I are finally together again in the studio at a very responsibly socially distanced distance. So I can just see his head Hi. over a monitor far away. Uh, really glad. Uh, it's really cool to be back in with you. Firstly, Rob, uh, really pleased you are joining us to talk about all the PPC stuff that's been going on. So last episode, uh, I was thinking about you when I was talking about search term report changes and knowing that you definitely would have something to say about this. I was uh, on holiday at the time and I get these kinds of updates through my personal email um, and I saw the 2% tax update and I saw the search query update and I was on holiday at the time. I was livid. <laughs> <laughs> Google ruined your holiday. Brilliant. So there's, there's actually... Uh, 
a lot of other changes that have been going on outside of um, Google dumping tax onto their users and removing data for us. Um, <clears throat> one of the ones I raised actually just kind of sent you a link to before that I really wanted you to explain to us was around this uh, Google Shopping change where, as I understand it, they're going to be able to show your products kind of globally now based on the language of the search. Is that right? And if not, can you politely correct me without making me sound silly? Well, yes, you're correct. Um, but it's not something that's going to be automatic. You have to opt into it. So um, this is a really handy update for e-commerce clients that already have a shopping feed set up. And setting up a shopping feed can sometimes be a bit of a pain. It's not always straightforward for every advertiser. Um, and if you want to ship globally, historically you needed to have a separate shopping feed created for each country that you wanted to target because each country has its own um, individual policies that you have to adhere to, whether it be the language you're targeting and the currency and those sorts of things. However, what Google have now introduced, they've accepted that um, countries where they speak the same language as your main target audience, they may wish to see your products um, in the shopping results. Um, so in order to do this, you just need to log into the Merchant, merchant Centre and there's a setting under your feed settings where you can add on additional countries and there's a whole list that's available in your, in your specific feed. So for example, you could, if you're targeting a UK audience, you could target English speakers in Germany, Spain, France, etc. So that actually sounds like quite a helpful update <clears throat> as opposed to some of the other things that we've been seeing. Uh, yes, which actually it's interesting though because it does tie in nicely to the next update, which is the update to the location reporting. Um, and a part of me feels that maybe this update is a precursor to Google opting to broaden up the location targeting in shopping ads. So historically you've been quite safe running a shopping ad in your target location. There's been no chance of Google deciding to show your advert in other countries. Um, but it's possible that this is a precursor to them automatically opting you in to expanded reach across different territories that you are not wanting to target. So this goes back to a previous podcast a while back where we spoke about a hidden update to the location settings where you used to be able to show ads only to people in your targeted locations, but Google broadened it up slightly to show people who are regularly in your targeted locations. I remember that. That was sneaky. Yeah. And that was the one where they didn't, it was if they were kind of regularly there, but then they didn't define what it's, regularly. It's it, interesting or, or, because. And interesting, yeah. I've targeted some really small geographic postcodes and the amount of people that go to Iran, India, France, Germany, all these locations is is pretty massive in some really small postcode areas. Wow. Just saying, you know, the, the cynic in me makes me question um, how accurate it is. But anyway, that's, that's how it is. So if you're if you're a small barber shop in Hackney and you only want to target people in Hackney, sometimes your ads are going to get shown to people in Beverly Hills. That's just something that you have to accept. But there are ways that you can mitigate this. You can ex exclude every other location where you don't want your ads to show. Um, so basically, it's possible that people may have to start doing this to shopping campaigns soon. I don't know. Um, but yes, it brings me nicely to the latest update, which is a change to the location reporting. 
Now, in Google Ads, when you run adverts, it, you know, you acknowledge that sometimes people are going to be based in different locations. And, and, you know, sometimes you want people who are based outside your geographic range to, to see your adverts because they may be expressing an interest to visit that premises. Um, so in the location report, there's always been the option to look at user locations, which is the actual physical location of the person that generated an impression or a click on your advert. Now, I logged in the other day and I noticed that actually Google had removed that ability and they've lumped it into a new thing now called matched location. Now, what matched location is, um, going back to the barber in Hackney who's having their advert shown in Beverly Hills, um, even though the user may be physically based in Beverly Hills, the matched location will show as Hackney in London. So actually um, now we can't see physically where the user is based because we just have to trust Google that they're showing it to the right person. Oh, wow. That, that's pretty big then. So if we, massive. we can't actually like validate it almost because, no. I mean, the one of the examples that I used for about two years when in our PPC courses was there was an advertiser in the United States that were running an ad for flowers and there is a Norfolk in the US and there is a Norfolk in the UK and I noticed because of they'd been sort of trusting Google in terms of the location targeting it would get the word Norfolk commonly confused thinking thinking it meant or it was just getting confused with the UK so I was seeing uh, ads for flowers uh, in the UK in dollars obviously for this American yeah. company because they weren't they weren't specifying the location they wanted they wanted to do it and obviously they could have seen then if people were clicking on the ads they were coming from the UK so we're saying this ability now to actually see the physical location of that click is gone absolutely now I've noticed that you can still have a look in analytics and look at the actual geographic location of people that are interacting with your ads there's something else that's crossed my mind recently, which is that you can create a custom report still. So you can go into Google Ads, create a custom report, and add user location as a dimension to examine. So you could do city user location rather than the interest. However, I need time to verify that they haven't just updated that dimension to now lump in the matched location. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I need time to assess historic data before I can say that that's a safe thing to do or not. I suspect, because interestingly, they've removed the, the ready-made um, report from the Dimensions tab now. Um, so you can't, you can't look at the ready-made user locations report. So they've removed that temporarily, but yeah, they still haven't removed the ability to be able to look at this physical user location as a custom report. But as I, as I say, I don't know how much that dimension can be trusted anymore. That's interesting because some of there has been things quietly removed from analytics before. So the, hmm. uh, the, the technology uh, report when we were looking at um, ISP data, that just vanished, didn't it? And there was never, because we spoke about that, didn't we, on the podcast? And mm. as far as I've seen, there was never any official announcement about no. that. They just took it out. There's another thing that they sneakily, they sneakily, uh, <laughs> sneakily, sneakily I like that. <laughs> they sneakily <laughs> removed um, at the end, towards the end of last year, which was the ability 
to look at smart shopping campaign search queries in Google Analytics. Now, one of the reasons I've always been a bit funny with smart shopping campaigns in Google Ads is because you can't can, you can't look at the search queries in Google Ads, so you don't know what the search terms are. So when I started looking at the search queries in Analytics, it became clear that Google was chasing the easy wins, which were the brand searches. And you can't add your brand search as a negative in a smart shopping campaign. <laughs> so I often use this as a good reason for clients not to run a smart shopping campaign. Um, and then they removed the ability to look at all the historic smart shopping search term data in Google Analytics. So you can't see what we're doing? No. It's so just the numbers just look good. The numbers look good. So, <laughs> you know, from an agency perspective, sure, you know, we'll run a smart shopping campaign and we can drive some easy conversions, but are they actual acquisition or are they merely brand protections, easy win shopping? Anyway, um, so all, all of these things hint at removing transparency and removing data-led decision-making. And again, I guess that, that moves us towards the other update that you covered last week, which was, rega was regarding the um, removal of search term data where there isn't a significant amount of search volume. It makes me sad. It makes me sad. Um, <laughs> makes me livid. So the, I mean, yeah, we covered some of the implications of that. I, I clumsily did it while you weren't here. But what, what we, what I really wanted to get into you with, I guess, is what uh, is your view on things we can be doing in-house? People can be doing digital marketers, PPC managers, agencies can be doing to work around this because you know Google lays down the law. They say these are the rules, and obviously we have to just play that game as best we can so what what are your apart from <laughs> being livid and furious and annoyed <laughs> and upset what what are your thoughts on this search term report data removal the top thing that i always have been i've been saying this to clients for a number of years now is that the days of the core traffic heavy keyword long disappeared on pay-per-click like years ago and whereas it used to be an easy time for pay-per-click managers having a set of core keywords that were traffic heavy and constantly converted. This shifted very quickly a number of years ago where people's search behavior was much more conversational. And whereas I would used to see years ago, like 90% of all conversions comprised the same um, regular search queries, now I'm seeing it's the flip side and I'm seeing at least 70% of conversions in all of my clients' accounts are unique searches that generate one or two impressions per month. And that mix of random conversions comprises the vast majority of leads or sales. And very few of those searches are the traffic-heavy keywords that Google was suggesting that they're only going to start showing. Now, the detail within those minor incidental searches is immense because I'm always I've always been a proponent not of the actual search term itself to bid on but the individual words which in my mind I refer to them as anchor words and it's those individual words within a massive subset of searches that I focus on and um, it's also those minor those anchor words those individual words that generate a load of wasted spend. So people that have managed accounts will know that searches such as job, jobs, salary, um, vacancies, secondhand, cheap, all of those incidental words can sometimes generate huge amounts of wasted spend, but they appear 
through thousands and thousands, sometimes millions of searches, but through unique longer tail searches. And it's possible that those searches, I say it's possible, it's inevitable that those types of incidental searches we're not going to see so readily anymore. So my the thing I can say really is that when, when you're planning a new campaign or even if, if you've suddenly found yourself in a position where you've lost access to all of this data, use the keyword planner tool and have a look and see what Google seems to think are the most important traffic-heavy searches. Look through them and add them as exact match negatives if you don't think they're relevant. So this is really then maybe rather than kind of going fishing for keywords with uh with you know broader matches it's actually doing this this more detailed keyword research ahead of time yes absolutely and looking back at your historic traffic i don't believe they're going to remove the historic data i'll be very surprised if they do well actually no at the moment <laughs> nothing surprises me at the moment um, maybe make an export of all of your historic search data. That's a really good idea. Do that now. We just, just came case. up with that one. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. To do list first thing yeah, after right. this podcast. <laughs> um, have a look for your Bing search term, search query data. Although I have to say, in my experience, Bing are very quick at jumping on the bandwagon. Anything that Google has done, Bing seem to do very soon after because they know they can get away with it. Well, I Bing, this could be Bing's chance though, right? Because it's their, it's their chance for redemption because they have been redeeming themselves recently, I have to say. Well, I've seen some people saying where they hadn't been even bidding on Bing before, uh, that they're going to move their campaigns, not move them away from Google, but run them on Bing to try and get some of that extra long tail data. Yeah. Um, well, so we I've only ever seen since this, people talking about increasing spend on Bing. So although, yeah, they have seemed to just follow in line with everything Google have done, it does seem to be a very unpopular update because it's making people's jobs harder and it does feel kind of weighted very much in Google's favor. So I, I hope Bing kind of continues as it is and can maybe provide us with some extra data. Well, actually, we're going to be talking about Bing um, in a little while, in this a little while later in this podcast, but um, one of the things I would say is that some of my clients actually perform a lot better on Bing than they do on Google. It's got a lower cost per click. Sometimes it has a higher conversion rate, and for B two B advertising, it's fantastic because a lot of companies, a lot of corporations, are tied into using Bing as the search engine. Um, but we'll talk about Bing, I guess, a little while because there's been some updates on there that that I'm keen to go over. There's a very positive mention of Bing there. If anyone at Microsoft, you know, if, if Bing, you feel like sponsoring this podcast, just drop me a line. So the, to, I guess to, to, to answer your question about the matched search query, or should I say the, um, the reduction of search query data, yes, do some keyword research. Um, don't make the assumption that the search term data that's outside what's being reported to you um, is meaningless. It's not. It's it's immense. The amount of traffic is mostly all of the important stuff in your account is from the longer tail, um, mm. broad broader segment of traffic. All of that data is really valuable, and um, brings me nicely onto close variant search terms that you often see, um, because for the last few years Google's been introducing more and more close variant. Um, search query data into 
into into your campaigns and just to give you an example um if you've if you're running if you're a training course for example and you're running an seo training course all of your keywords are going to be around course training learning lessons e-learning because that qualifies what it is that you're selling so your main keywords would be seo training course seo e-learning seo courses now there are cases where google will decide to remove the qualifier in that and the qualifier is obviously courses training now even if you're running a phrase or exact match keyword sometimes google will refer to that as a close variant and say actually no i don't need to we can show your advert just for searches like seo hints or seo tips or even seo blog you know it, it can go really broad on that and it's those kind of close variants sometimes where google may decide not to show it in the data so again, you have to really forward plan and decide what it is you don't want to search for. A lot of pay-per-click at the moment is thinking about what you don't want to spend money mm. on because Google doesn't factor that in, or at least it does. It just doesn't guide you. They say you're missing opportunities. Yes, <laughs> missing out. Um, that's always something that's actually surprised me when I've run uh, Google Ads and PPC accounts is you get so into thinking about a client and what they do and their service and you, you set up these kind of key phrases to target and then you look through we did look through the search term data and you would see just kind of intent that you'd completely not thought of because you were so focused on the product and mm. oh yeah there's that totally different thing that has the same search term and mm. yeah like you say trying a big part of the the initial job is actually um, just trying to cut that wastage out isn't it absolutely and I, I know a lot of people write scripts to exclude close variant. Um, yeah. But actually, despite what I've just said, most of the time when I look through my search query data and I only look through close variant, the vast majority of the time it actually does convert better because in my it, historically close variant meant misspellings. Hmm. It meant including searches for when the query wasn't including like um, a preposition such as in, out or to or it would include um, plural versions of the search query. All of that's fine, and I want to capture that because it's still relevant. Mm -hmm. But when they remove entire chunks of your keyword phrase out that's actually really important to describe your business and qualifies the user, that's where it's really dangerous. And all of this is going to become a lot harder to manage. And it's interesting because I think there's going to be a whole a whole new generation of pay-per-click managers that come into using Google Ads not knowing that any of this happened in the past, not <laughs> knowing what happens behind the scenes. So it's going to be interesting to see how things move. I mean, that's assuming there's still going to be pay-per-click managers in a couple of years' time. I, I don't know the way Google's going. It looks like um, they want everything to be automated anyway. But uh, I guess that's another chat for another, another day. Trust in the black box. Um You've got something down here about ad rank threshold that yes. you would like to talk about. Talk, tell us about ad rank threshold. Well, the reason I was thinking about this today was because Google's made a lot of changes that um, the cynic in me says is to help with their ad revenue. And Google obviously got hit quite hard during the pandemic. A lot of advertisers paused, which is understandable. Um, and one of the things I kept seeing on on, on LinkedIn and on other forums was, oh, great, cost per click's going to get lower because advertisers have pulled out of Google Ads. 
But that never happened to me. I didn't, <laughs> none of my clients saw a decrease, at least not a notable one in cost per click. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, well, that's not a surprise at all because there is such a thing called ad rank threshold. And I mean, have you heard of ad rank threshold before? I have not. The reason you have not is because Google very quietly a few years ago posted about ad rank threshold. And essentially, ad rank threshold is the reserve price for an ad. And Google, it, historically, it used to be thought that you could only pay, you would only pay the maximum you need to pay to uh, rank above your competitor. Um, but actually, that's not the case. Google has now said that there is a minimum reserve price. And even if you're the only advertiser bidding on a keyword, you still have to bid the minimum amount to show, which is its reserve price for the bid. So like eBay, when I set a reserve yes. price for everyone can bid for this, but nobody's getting it for less than 11 pounds. Exactly. And um, I, I first noticed this years ago when I used to run Google Ads campaigns and I used to enjoy cost per clicks of like 2 and 3p. Or when I was doing a brand protection campaign and I knew that no one else was bidding on it. So I used to set the max cost per click to 1p and I would enjoy 1p cost per clicks. And then all of a sudden the adverts would stop showing and I'd have to start bidding 50p and then one pound. And I thought, well, why am I doing that if there's no other advertiser on it? That just makes no sense whatsoever. And similar to that, I also noticed that there are certain niche industries that would automatically generate a really low quality score on the keyword. And I'd look at the landing page and I think, well, the landing page is relevant. The speed of the site is fast. This was before mobile first, so that wasn't an issue, but quite often these websites were mobile responsive anyway. Mm. And the ad text was relevant. So I think, well, why is the quality score two and three? You know, And why is it making me have to do like a six pound cost per click on a niche sector where there's barely any competitors? And over time, I just thought, oh, this is just Google's algorithm or it's just not working properly. But then one day I, I came across Google's announcement about ad rank threshold and I thought, oh, well, that just makes sense. So I was kind of right all of this time, but they've, they've now openly acknowledged that there is a minimum cost per click. It's like when you use LinkedIn and you're targeting a niche industry and then it's saying the minimum amount you can bid is eight pounds. <laughs> And you think, oh, imagine if Google did that. Well, actually, Google lets you bid 1p, but they're telling you, well, you can bid 1p if you want, but actually, we still have a minimum reserve price for your advert to show, even if no one else is bidding on your turn. And as well, they have changed with the accelerated bidding as well. So yes. it's harder to fill in, take that strategy of bidding low and like filling in the cracks where they yeah. don't have the inventory. That filled. was my favorite strategy yeah. for years that was, and it worked so well for advertisers, but uh, no, you just, you can't do that now. You have to have a higher budget and a higher bid, um, which is why cost per clicks have increased over the years, not just because more people are using Google, but because Google at any point can change its ad rank threshold. It won't tell you when it's done it. The only thing they say is that it's ver it varies from sector to sector. So some sectors it will add a high reserve price, others a low one. And I'm presuming it's constantly refining that. So if at any point they're thinking, actually, our ad revenue is a bit low, maybe we just up the reserve price by 20p and then, you know, that'll that'll increase our ad revenue and cover this. Now, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to see this have a knock-on effect on them, though, on the number of people that advertises with them. 
but I just I don't think it will just because Google's such a mammoth beast and mm. everyone uses Google, so it's the place to advertise. Mm. But basically, all of these changes that that we've discussed today um, just just make me think that it's time for other advertisers to try or to dip their toes into other advertising platforms. And whereas before. I always used to say, yes, use Google for search because search has the highest intent. The one thing I would say is that I would much rather pay less money for lower quality, lower intent traffic if it's generating a profit than I would for investing in a lot of money in high intent traffic when it's not generating a profit, Yeah, which is why it's important to try things like Bing and even Facebook. I've been having some fantastic results on Facebook simply because the cost per click is so much lower than Google which I guess leads us very nicely onto Bing. Yeah, updates. we can say some nice things. So Microsoft Advertising recently announced uh, the release of three audience targeting features, dynamic remarketing lists and in-market audiences in France and Germany for search campaigns and LinkedIn profile targeting for both search and audience campaigns. So good timing for them. What have you got to say about these? Do you know, the one that really excites me the most and it has done for a while is the LinkedIn profile targeting. And essentially because um, LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft and they've managed to integrate the platform with Bing, it allows you to show adverts effectively to people who match um, certain job titles, job functions, industries, or even specific companies. Now that's a really powerful thing. Um, unfortunately, it's, although it's a really cool thing, it's not as outstanding as you may think it is. It's not like you can only show, for example, your adverts to CEOs who work in the finance sector. Instead, it's a bid-only change. So you can add a bid modifier to CEOs. You can add a bid modifier to people that work at Walmart, for example. Um, so it's still quite cool. And actually from a data collection perspective, it's gonna be really good to be able to see what the job functions are that are, that are activating your Bing ads. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I actually think even though it's just a bid modifier at the moment and you can't, you can't exclude certain job functions or sectors, um, I think that they're going to go down that route because that would just, Google can't do that. Google doesn't allow you to target by job function or by sector or or um, or even by the industry that you work in. So uh, this is such a powerful update, I think, that it just warrants closer monitoring. And I'm really looking forward to it when it finally comes out in the UK and I can just play around with it and share all sorts of fascinating insights with my clients. It's really helpful as well in terms of how we can use it with uh, search so obviously the premise the basis of search is that we can understand the intent because we know roughly what we're targeting what people type in but what we don't know is the type of person that's doing that search which is going to have an impact perhaps on their intent as to if they're a ceo of a company or whether they're you know a junior admin person they may have different intent for the same thing so I think it's a really good way to open up that kind of discovery type of advertising um, by having those bid modifiers for things like job titles or, or companies. And also then once you get those 
clicks maybe being able to be a bit more sure we can put them in an audience list in analytics and we're a bit more sure about who these people are and then we can feed that into our remarketing list for search and everything just kind of gets better and again that's more money i guess going microsoft's way because they've yeah. like you say they've got that structured data everyone's gone to linkedin and typed in their you know their job titles and their companies and yep. google don't really have that no. no i think it's really exciting I, it wouldn't surprise me if google tried to come up with a similar thing i don't know how they would know well, i'm sure they know lots of things but i don't <laughs> yeah. know how they would accurately be able to say what your job function is mm -hmm. and where you work um, i'm sure they can get that information um just read my emails yeah <laughs> <laughs> So dynamic remarketing and in-market audiences. Sure. So this is something that Google has offered for years, which is a display remarketing campaign. But the adverts that you show to your users reflect the products that they viewed on your website. So essentially it uses your um, your shopping feed data. Um, it looks at the, the products that that person has viewed on your website and it will show an image of that product and the price that you charge for that product. Um, and what you often find with e-commerce remarketing is that if you're running a dynamic shopping campaign, the click-through rates are higher and the conversion rates are higher because you're showing the product that they actually showed an interest in. You're not just sending them to a generic page like the home page or a category page. You're sending them exactly to the product they were viewing when they abandoned your website. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a good thing. I mean, I, I, not many of my clients generate huge amounts of shopping campaign traffic on Bing because it doesn't tend to convert as well because it tends to have a broader search query criteria than Google, which is quite interesting. Um, but I'm quite keen on seeing how this fleshes out over time um, and I'll certainly be tr trying it out. Sounds great to me. The only thing I wish people would do with these kind of remarketing campaigns is make sure that people are removed from them when they check out yeah it's like the number one complaint i see from people who aren't involved in search marketing is when they get bombarded by ads for something they've looked at and then actually bought but then they see ads for the exact product they bought for like a two weeks afterwards i have a confession to make i have a habit of contacting head of marketing of every <laughs> no. brand that does no. that to me i'm like I, I even explain how they can fix it and most of them just reply and go ha ha thanks and i don't hear from them again but then sometimes the advert does stop showing to me and i think yes yeah, my work here is done you could have charged for that rob <laughs> <clears throat> So in-market audiences. So in-market audiences, again, is something that Google has had available for a while. Um, and in-market audiences, essentially, the search engine has decided that that person has intent to purchase that particular product. So, for example, consumer electronics, um, event tickets, banking, um, clothing, shoes. If, if Bing thinks that the person is in the market for those things you can add that audience. Now, all of this is great. One of the things that's worth bearing in mind is that these three new updates are all very much geared around Microsoft's audience network. Now, Microsoft's audience network isn't the same as Google's display network. Um, for one thing, at least in the UK right now, you can't create an audience-only campaign on Microsoft's advertising. Okay. You can only create a search campaign and add a bid adjustment to the audience network. And your audience network will include things like Outlook, um, um, 
You've put yourself on the spot. I now. have. I've put myself in Outlook and um, Office 365, and um, I, I want to say Hotmail. It's not called Hotmail anymore. It's just Outlook, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's, it's quite. It's, it's been a while since I've <laughs> logged into my Hotmail Live Outlook, whatever it's called now. <laughs> so it, essentially, uh, the the audience network on Bing is quite limited compared to Google Display Network's massive reach. Um, but all of this to me hints that they're ramping up for something and I, I, I'm just I'm really looking forward to it because the cost per click on a display network is, is getting increasingly high and I'm really keen to see what can be achieved through Microsoft's audience network as I say you can't actually run an in-market only display campaign in in Microsoft ads at the moment it's only been released to certain um, certain advertisers that are part of the beta program so all of this is still just as and when have to monitor it. We can't even use the LinkedIn audience profiling at the moment. So if you're creating, if you want to create a display campaign in Microsoft ads, it's still essentially a search campaign, but sometimes your adverts will show on Outlook, Office 365 and other Microsoft platforms. Rob, we're kind of out of time now. Okay. Thank you so much for guiding me us through that i think i would have got a little bit lost trying to uh <laughs> dance my way through all those updates uh because there's a lot of detail you've added in there and it does always interest me because obviously mainly on this podcast i talk about seo that's kind of more you know my thing and there's always something new to talk about and it just seems to be the same with pbc you know things are changing rapidly the technology is changing rapidly what the different um i call them vendors are doing is 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 changing and it just opens new possibilities that you know you need to stay ahead of and it it, it does always make me feel bad still when i speak to people who have got a marketing function within a company and then i speak to them because they want some help with you know seo or something and then i talk to them about their job function and you know, they're normally like, yeah, I do marketing. So yeah, no, I do the SEO and I, I do the PPC and yeah, no, I do some of the design bits as well. And it just blows my mind how much, you know, it's not possible for one person to, to keep up with everything, you know, that's going on. And when I tell them that, okay, well, actually just within SEO, we tend to even have people that specialize. So we have technical SEO people, we have yeah. people that kind of do outreach, digital PR, we have people that are more focused on content. So uh, it just makes me feel bad really for the people that, you know, so we feel you if you're working in house marketing and that's your role, you have our, uh, <laughs> you have our sympathies. Uh, but thank you very much, Rob. Uh, I hope we get to do this again sometime soon. Um, and we're not total lockdown again. Uh, we will be back in one week's time again, as usual, which will be Monday, the 21st of September. I hope you all, as usual, have a brilliant week. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, do subscribe, leave us a review, whatever, it all helps. And I hope you join in next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.